Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I am your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to look at a topic that I avoided out of sheer pride, ego, hurt, whatever you want to call it, a combination of all of those and other things as well. Um, We are going to look at the topic of singleness and loneliness that accompanies that singleness They kind of go hand in hand right now. I feel like a lot of people are struggling with this just due to this whole COVID situation with, um, you know, with the lockdowns, with the quarantining that's going on. Um, You know, it's hard to have normal social interaction that will kind of offset some of this loneliness and some of those things that accompany being single and truly being single and not trying to, you know, just go out and date the whole world. You know, I'm talking about when you're single, you're waiting on the Lord to bring the person into your life that you feel he has for you. Um, And, you know, again, this is a topic (laughs) I've said this before. We are foolish when we try to fight and argue with the Lord, when we try to do our own will and not God's will, which again, like I said earlier, I was avoiding this topic. (laughs) You know, I spent the past several days, almost a full week, basically going through different topics. And every time I would go through something and come to, you know, some type of uh, point of where I'd start to do some research. I kept hitting walls and walls and walls and God was dealing with me, you know, he was dealing with pride. He was dealing with ego. I felt like, you know, Job wrestling the Lord, literally, I mean, just pridefully and foolishly, you know, how we do sometimes, um, just fighting this. And again, it was something that I didn't want to address because of just personal situations I have right now. But when God tells us to do something, do it because there's a reason why he's telling us to do it. I thank him for his chastisement in my life. I thank him for I praise him for my current singleness right now. I, I I went from struggling with things and falling in ways that I haven't struggled and fallen in a while. And, you know, God is so merciful. He's gracious. He's always there to pick us up. You know, part of what I'm going to talk about today is how Jesus is always there to be there for us in every circumstance in life. And it's usually our own foolishness our own pride that keeps us from experiencing the joys that come along with every minute of every day that we are in the Lord because, you know, (laughs) he is truly our keeper. He is enough for us in every moment of our life, regardless of our status when it comes to a relationship. You know, God is, um, he's our provider ultimately. Um, you know, he has shown me things through this that I just, you know, again, I can happily and truthfully embrace where I'm at in life right now. God has shown me that, you know, there's a reason why I'm single right now. There's a reason why he's preparing me for whatever he has in the future for me at whatever time he puts that in my life. 
And right now, I should be very content, and I am, with where I am in life. And um, you know, it's it's that struggle <laughs> that we again get into. I mean, look, I literally felt like the windows of heaven were closed <laughs> about a week ago when I started to just avoid this topic, and I basically just brushed it off, and I said, well. Yeah, I'll deal with that at some other point, but right now I don't want to deal with it because of X, Y, or Z. But again, when God's telling us to deal with something and He's dealing with us personally, and this is one way that God deals with me, you know, uniquely is getting into topics that I may be uncomfortable talking about. I may not want to come off a certain way. X, Y, yada, yada, yada. Again, it's all foolishness, it's all pride, it's all ego. I brush those things aside. I say, yes, Lord, use me how you will use me. And thankfully, again, he just, right when I just let go, let God, quote unquote, you know, he just opened the windows of heaven and I just feel like I'm in a place. I am so joyous right now. I'm so happy to talk about this and it's, it's only in God that we can truly experience these things and these types of um, revelations, if you will. But I am very happy and content with talking about this specific topic. Um, and, you know, it's funny because, uh, of course, last week as I'm just looking around at resources and things and, you know, doing some research and, you know, I go to an, an app I have. It's the In Touch Ministries app. Um, that broadcasts Dr. Charles Stanley's, um, you know, it'll give a message from him for the day and then it'll have some, you know, inspirational things here and there. And of course, the day that I go on to look at, look into just something to almost avoid and just to dive into a different topic, the literal topic is how to deal with loneliness. And it was just such a blessing that God, that I think that was Thursday or Friday, I think that was last, it was several days ago, but it doesn't matter the day. The point is that, of course, in only that unique way that the Holy Spirit can, the entire message just spoke to me, had me in tears. I want to just go to get into tears again, thinking about it. You know, that ultimate, that just intimacy God has with us that no one else can have. And we should be grateful for that because regardless of our circumstances in life, however many times I've said this myself, it doesn't matter because God is there. He has us. He is, <laughs> his yoke is easy. His, his burden is light. So, you know, it's, it's how much do we want to resist the Lord and try to do things on our own that we fail, we fall we, um, you know, have struggles and it all comes down usually to pride, to ego, being fools, thinking we know better. Who are we to think we know any better than the creator of the heavens and the earth? So without any further ado, let's get into this topic of singleness and loneliness. Alrighty, so like I said, we are going to look at this topic of singleness slash loneliness, and we're just going to dig into some different areas of the Bible. We're going to start in the book of Psalms, 
jump over to the book of Hosea, jump up into the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, and then finish up in, back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. So starting in Psalms chapter 68, we're going to look at verses 4 to 6. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. All right. So looking at the notes for that section, looking at the note for Psalm 68, verses 4, 5, and 6. One who rides on the clouds. Archaeological discoveries of ancient writings found in Syria also portray their gods in this way. Yah is the short form of Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And then the note for for chapter, again, Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. David believes that defense of the defenseless is the motive for warfare. So um, now we're going to look at that word father. And the word means av. So father, forefather, producer of a certain thing. A very simple word, av is supposed to be one of the first words a baby can speak. The Aramaic form of Ab is Abba, which has become common in modern Hebrew as the word Israel, or excuse me, Israeli children use for daddy. Jesus applied this toddler's word to his divine father. See Mark chapter 14, verse 36. The Holy Spirit teaches us to call God Abba, See Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Ab is found in many compound names in the Bible. For example, Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Abimelech, my father is king. Joab, Yahweh is a father. And Absalom, father of peace. Sometimes Ab does not mean physical father, so much as it does architect, builder, creator, and the one who causes something to be. Hence, a father of evil is someone who produces evil. Jesus described Satan as the father of lies. Ab, as creator and producer, is applied to the Lord Jesus, who is Abiad, the everlasting father or more literally, the father of eternity. That is just incredible. I love that definition. I love that explanation of father, and especially that very last part there where it says Jesus is the everlasting father, or more literally, the father of eternity. You know, when we think of Jesus, we think of, excuse me, you know, him walking this earth, being crucified, and then uh, resurrecting and, you know, ascending into heaven. But 
what we must realize is he is Lord. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when he showed up with Moses and Elijah, his divinity, his true lordship was shown to the disciples. And they were in absolute awe. They were literally speechless. They could not, they had no words. <laughs> Only Peter, of course, opened his mouth like he usually does and stuck his foot in his mouth saying we should build tabernacles for all three. And basically he was mildly rebuked in a sense, but it, it just, again, Jesus as this everlasting father, the father of eternity, he is our good, good father. He is our protector. He's our provider, our creator, our builder. And then this, uh, this word also, I love how it says he's the architect, meaning if you know, if familiar with an architect, an architect draws up the plans for a building to be constructed or a structure to be constructed. He's the designer of the very thing. So to think of Jesus as the architect, builder, and creator of each one of our lives, how foolish is it of us to sit and worry about any facet of our life, <clears throat> excuse me, after we're in Christ and in his will, we must rely and truly trust that he will provide everything we need at the correct time in our lives when it is needed. And if he does not provide it, it is not needed because his grace is sufficient for me and for you and for us as his children. It's just, again, incredible, um, incredible insight you can get um, that that's out of my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible. Um, and I want to read this kingdom dynamic here for, again, Psalm verse or chapter 68, verses five and six. Divine appointment places people in families, family order. We sometimes speak about difficult circumstances into which people are born as, quote, an innocent, excuse me, an accident of birth. Viewed from a divine perspective, however, our placement in a human family is no accident at all. It is a divine appointment. God sets the solitary in families. Indeed, the protection and care that one receives in a family is so essential to human life that God says he will personally intervene on behalf of widows and orphans who lose the normal protection of a husband and father. When we are tempted to complain about our family or suppose that our birth circumstance would be better somewhere else, we need to regain this divine perspective. This is not to become passive or fatalistic about one's situation, nor is it to say this will cause an escape from sorrow or suffering. Nevertheless, we are reminded that the ultimate well-being of our human families rests upon the promise and care of our Father in heaven, and that his sovereign and loving purpose will intervene for our benefit. 
that's a great explanation. That's very insightful. You know, I mean, it's very easy for us to look around at our earthly families and have a lot of questions sometimes, especially with the level of dysfunction that exists within a lot of Western families. Um, But ultimately, we must realize that we are there by God's will. And we are called to love everyone, including those very close family members that it may be the hardest people and situations to fall in line with, and they may be the hardest to love in life. Sometimes it's easier to love a stranger than it is your own family because you don't have all of the all of the dynamics that are involved with that very close, intimate family relationship. I come from an extremely broken home and dysfunctional family. Um, I have very little contact, frankly, with some of the my immediate family members. But, you know, I do also pray for them daily. I do love them from a distance. Um, unfortunately, they just have some very toxic personalities and some toxic situations in their own lives that they've chosen. So, you know, it, there is a healthy boundary as well. We're not called, again, going back to sort of the Ten Commandments thing I said um, in a couple episodes ago. You know, if you have a wicked or evil parent, (laughs) we are not called to fall in line with wicked and evilness just because a parent is um, telling you to do so. So, you know, there's definitely a wisdom and an understanding that we have just on a basic human level that, you know... um, Again, when you get older and you can recognize situations for what they are and you get to know people for who they are, because, you know, as we're growing up, we look at our parents in one way. And then when we get older and have a look back and we look at them as we gain life experience, we may have a different perspective and view of the, the your parents or, or your siblings or whoever it may be. But just because you have that different perspective or view doesn't change the relationship that you have with them, doesn't change the fact that God has you in that family for a reason, for a purpose that may not be very clear. But ultimately, we have to remember, too, that I'd say a large majority of people would probably say they have dysfunctional families in one form, facet, or another. So we're not unique. We have to kind of take a step back sometimes and realize that, hey, it is what it is. You know, thankfully, again, God is our good, good father in heaven. He's our provider. He is the ultimate architect of our lives. He is the builder of our lives. So knowing that and knowing the Lord, we can get through anything in life, including tough family dynamics and situations. So it's definitely important to keep that in mind. So we're going to flip now to Psalm 73, and we're going to look at verses 21 to 26. So Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is my strength 
excuse me, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So I wanted to read that because one, that's just, it's a beautiful Psalm. Um, You know, I believe it was written by David and it's just his heart. You know, there's a good reason why God said David is the only man that is, uh, he's after God's own heart because he had such an eloquent, beautiful way of just bearing his soul. And, um, you know, when it comes down to it, we have to remember <laughs> as much as we may want to change our situation and have our singleness addressed, have our loneliness taken away, realize this. There are, and this is something that Dr. Charles Stanley pointed out, and it's a great point to make. <laughs> We are always going to have circumstances in life that challenge us. So the loneliness, for example, some of the most famous people and some of the most well-known people and some of the people that are surrounded by many, many people all day are some of the loneliest people on the earth. Some of that being their own making, some of that being the fact that they are who they are and they can't have close, intimate relationships for whatever reason that might be for their position in life. One example he gave, for example, was a CEO of a company, although that person may be the most well-known of the company and the face of the company. Typically, those very people are the loneliest because they are up at the apex of that company. You know, and they can't go hang around and pal around with the with the um, lower level employees, a good CEO, that is, you know, these days you have all kinds of weird companies out there, these weird dynamics that these people try to have and and facilitate. But ultimately, those companies usually fail. They fall on their face because that's an unwise um, approach to leadership. But I'm not going to get off on a tangent on that. I will say, though, that. Ultimately, the, the we we are not always we are always going to have a, a sense of loneliness in life. <laughs> I've had you know, I've been I've been in rooms full of people, but felt very lonely at the same time. And I'm sure most people can relate to that. Um, so it's uh, again, these are unique circumstances we're living in with this COVID situation, with the quarantining, with everything that we're going through. So you know, look, there's definitely a light at the end of this tunnel. Um, We're already in a new year. Thankfully, 2020 has passed. 2021 is here. God willing, if we get through, you know, the next half, six months, nine months, it looks like we may be through this thing and life will get back to as normal as it can get. And and it should be back to normal, frankly. I'm not going to go off on a COVID tangent, but the whole thing is ridiculous. And for the most part, you know, I'm a normal, healthy person and there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to go out and eat at a restaurant with my kids. But, you know, um, the point being this, the, these circumstances are unique. They will pass. And um, look, take this opportunity to dig into the word of God. Get, you know, do things that you've wanted to do for a long time, but we're always too busy to do. I know there's plenty of things. I've made some subtle lifestyle changes in my own life where I look forward to being able to expand on these things once I, you know, once everything's back to normal, quote unquote. So, again, these, this too shall pass. And ultimately, remember, 
We rely on the Lord for everything because he is our good, good father. He is our ultimate resource. He is our ultimate source for everything. So, um, you know, be happy about that. That's a great thing. And the fact that we are called his, that should be sufficient enough. You know, his grace is sufficient enough for all of life's circumstances. So just, you know, keep the faith, stay strong. And again, this too shall definitely pass. And there's nothing wrong with having, you know, questions, emotions, but pray, seek the Lord, get into his word. I promise you, he will respond. He's faithful. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, which is something we're going to look at pretty soon here. So looking at, um, we're going to jump over to the book of Hosea next. We're going to look at chapter two, verses 19 and 20. And this is so intimate that God just, he says what he says. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So, I mean, that's very comforting and incredible that God would make that promise to us. Again, we're talking about the omnipresent, omnipotent creator who has his hand on everything in the universe, but he also has his hand on every element of our lives. When you think about that, it's absolutely mind-blowing, the fact that God has such control, that he's in such amazing control all the time. I mean, I know that just blows me away when I think about it. And then when you think of the intimacy that he has with each and every one of his children, I mean, the limitlessness of God is just so incredible. I just can't wait to see him one day, and I just can't fathom. I absolutely can't fathom the Godhead, the Trinity, just how this all works. It's it's mind-numbing and mind-blowing when I even really try to think about it, but... Let's look at the notes here for, um, again, Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. This is out of my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible. It says, God renews his covenant with Israel in the form of wedding vows. He promises a relationship characterized by permanence, right standards, fair treatment, love unfailing, tenderness, security, and continuing self-revelation. I mean, just one word that stuck out, or one term that stuck out to me, and that was love unfailing. As one who's been married twice and divorced twice, I can tell you this. There are some real ups and downs in that type of a relationship. So one thing that's very comforting about being single is the steadiness upon which we can walk. And we are going to look next at Paul, some of the the, um, things he says about it. But 
when you're single, you can completely focus on the Lord without any distraction. That is something that we shouldn't take for granted, and we should embrace that very thing, the fact that we can have our undivided attention and focus on the things of the Lord at all times. We don't have, now I am blessed with with amazing children and relationships with those children. I love every second we spend together, and I look forward to having more time with them and more intimate relationships with them as they grow and get older. Um, but I will say <clears throat> there is something about being single and being able to focus and do the will of God at the snap of a finger whenever he tells you to do it and not have those other obligations that a spouse and a family come along with. Believe me, I know if you look around at certain people in your life, you can identify people that are not exactly happily married. They're not exactly thrilled when their kids are around all the time. Um, they, those people are people you should look at and maybe just take a step back and say, you know what, maybe, maybe this whole singleness isn't such a bad thing for now in my life. And if this is how I'm meant to be, then this is how I'm meant to live. And it is what it is. So, um, remember Ultimately, God is our provider. He will provide all things. He will keep us. And speaking of that, let's get into, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to get into verses 1 through 9. So looking again at chapter 7, verses 1 through 9 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." And we are going to look now at the notes for, again, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 through 9. Paul had received a letter from the Corinthians inquiring about various problems. Among them were questions pertaining to marriage, to which he responds in this section. Not to touch a woman 
is a euphemism for sexual intercourse and represents the spiritual challenge of this chapter. Regardless of how important sex may be, it is still a temporal arrangement and not a part of our eternal existence. Marriage itself is an earthly institution. So quickly there, that's just a vote, the note for verse one. We must keep in mind that marriage is not for eternity. So while we, while it seems like an eternity while we're single, we must also realize that there's also going to be a time once we pass that we are going to be um, married. We are the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. And when we get to heaven, we are not going to have these types of relationships. We are going to be brothers and sisters in Christ as we are now prior to marriage. So as you can see here, I mean, the construct of marriage basically is so that we just don't burn with our lusts for sexual immorality and we satisfy those 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 passions with by marrying a man marries a woman a woman marries a man to satisfy those very sexual desires but again paul says i mean if it could be if you have this gift of celibacy and self-control then it's better ultimately in the long run if you can exercise those gifts so then we're going to look at uh, the note for chapter 7, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians. Christian couples should overcome sexual selfishness and, not, and should not deprive one another. If sexual activity is interrupted in marriage, three conditions are necessary. Mutual consent, a limited time, spiritual, not selfish reasons. So quickly there, I mean, look, it's very important point that if you're married, that you are, like Paul says in verse four, you, your body is not your own anymore. It is your spouse's pleasure to engage in, I believe, you know, it's been preached and I've taught to me and I do believe this, that when you're married, um, you know, have at it. Uh, when it comes down to within the confines of marriage, you know, <laughs> you can have any sexual intercourse that you desire. And that's between you, your spouse, and also the Holy Spirit will guide you. You know, I mean, there is a, a, a Trinity type of union there. <laughs> you know, you two are ultimately the Lord's and the Lord should be involved in everything. But you know, um, that sexual uh, passion is something that you are obligated to and should never be something that is used as a weapon to punish a spouse. So getting in now, look at the, looking at the um, notes for, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 to 9. Paul clearly states that he is speaking from personal preference when he challenges the unmarried to remain celibate. Matrimony or celibacy is an individual and relative matter depending, in part, on one's ability to control sexual passion. The sexual drive is not sinful, and remaining unmarried instead of marrying embodies no superior moral virtue. So, you know, that's pretty clear what, what the commentator is saying there. I definitely agree with that, that, um, 
you know, if you have the gift of celibacy, if you can, um, you know, if you're content in life, then don't push an issue. Don't try to, um, you know, uh, engage in something that maybe you're just not meant to engage in. Again, there's going to be a time in history, in our lives, in eternity, where that's not going to be part of our lives anymore. So this carnal flesh that we have now burns with passion and desire for the most part in most people. So that's why that's the whole construct of marriage. And, um, you know, there's also some very negative things God says about divorce. And maybe we'll look at that someday. But right now, again, we're addressing this idea of singleness and loneliness and just trying to figure it out and trying to put it in the context of addressing it in a godly manner. So let's look now at the kingdom dynamic section for, um, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. 